According to recent estimates, it costs more than $25,000 to enroll a single patient in a phase 3 clinical trial, yet 30% of those patients will ultimately drop out of the trial before its completion. Additionally, the challenge for investigators has never been higher, with the burden on site staff increasing more than 67% over 10 years. With so much at stake, how can we address these problems? Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Rob Bohax, CEO and founder of ClinOne. ClinOne provides e-clinical mobile and web applications designed to streamline the process of enrolling and managing clinical trials for the patient, but also for the site. And their work goes well beyond managing study protocols. They've actually embedded things like transportation options into their platform, making it possible to have Uber pick up the patient and take them to their site visits automatically. Join me as we take a look into the complex world of clinical trials and what's being done today to streamline and improve both the experience and the outcome. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Rob, thanks so much for being with us on Data Point today. Uh, thank you for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I have been excited to have this conversation with you. Um, the work that you and your team are doing at Clin One is really fascinating, and I know our listeners are going to be interested in it as well. But before we dive into that, could you, I love to give a little bit of context as to who we're talking to, and would you be willing to give us a little bit of your background and maybe some of the milestones that sort of pointed you in the direction that you're headed now? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for asking. I pivoted my career into the world of clinical research about 12 years ago, uh, which was a bit out of, out of left field, of course. And one of the things I realized very early on is that there are major challenges to be solved in research. And there's some really complicated problems, and there's obviously some very simple problems that uh, need to be addressed. So I spent a lot of my time in research overcoming some of those problems. Um, I started my career in an oncology CRO, built a site management organization, and then started Clinton One about four years ago uh, because I really just thought software and being able to automate and, and visualize what's happening in the world around you can have a significant impact on patients and research sites and the way that sponsors um, can see and access data about their patients to, to make improvements along the journey as well. And in, in parallel to my own career, uh, I had my dad who was diagnosed with ALS back uh, two and a half years ago, mm. and uh, it's a pretty crummy disease, unfortunately. And first thing you do, of course, is go online and you know, realize that that particular indication had, back at the time, just one approved drug that helped improve overall survival by about 30 days. And you're wow. like, everybody talks about Lou Gehrig's disease and ALS, right? And, and uh, some of the the videos on YouTube about certain challenges to fundraise. How is it that this particular indication uh, doesn't even have any acceptable long-term treatment, let alone a cure? We're so far away from that. 
And uh, going through the process of getting my dad into a clinical trial and uh, how difficult it was to convince him that a clinical trial is the best option because there wasn't anything even available. It took a lot of work, to be honest with you, and trying to understand which clinical trial was the best fit for him. And then seeing him enroll in the clinical trial, having my mom, who was his caretaker, be involved every single day in that journey and how difficult it was. And, you know, I'm in the business, right? I know right. clinical trials. I, do, I don't know ALS clinical trials that well, but I know protocols and studies and study designs and you know, execution and management of trials. And to see it as a family member, and I live about a thousand miles away from them, mm. it was unbelievable. It was eye-opening that these patients who are going to UCLA, UCI, UCSD, you know, top 15 institutions in the world for research in ALS particularly, and yet they were so challenged with it because they were so disconnected on basic things. What do I do today? How do I become successful as a patient? You know, it really catapulted in what we're doing at Clin One. And, and I hate to bring my personal story into a company, but I don't think my family is alone. And again, we had the benefit that you know, somebody in our family was deeply involved in clinical research. And yet there was still this crazy complexity of how difficult it is for a patient to be part of a trial. It's amazing how many people I talk to, Rob, who at some point in their history, have a personal story that is much like that, that was sort of the lightning strike moment for them to realize that something needed to be done differently and that if nobody else was going to do it, then they were. Um, and so I'm really, I'm glad that you brought that story into it because to be honest with you, I think clinical trials are, for people outside the business, uh, they are a black box. Uh, they're not well understood. And so to be able to bring some personal light onto that story is, I think, really important. And I, I guess I would love to hear about sort of what were some of the things that you saw, you know, in your parents' experience juxtaposed against your, you know, your career in the business where you saw the biggest gaps? Like, were there particular places where you said, wow, I had no idea that it was actually like this when you experienced it. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. Um, I think that the biggest gap and kind of the eye-opening moment was you know, the clinical trials for, for patients have 200 to maybe five uh, 5,000 specific steps to be involved, right? And it could be something simple like a questionnaire to a visit. Mm. Um, all the procedures are involved in the trials. You know, we're at a level where there's so much technology around this. Why isn't there a technology that handholds the, the patient and the caregiver through what I need to do today? And what mm. do I do tomorrow? What do I do the next day? And then you know, at the same time, beyond providing that level of support for them, it gives information back to the site and to the sponsors that, hey, something's not going right. I could act mm. on it because they don't know. There's a gap, right? You know, my dad was on those trials for four months and six months respectively and one of the challenges is you know until the data goes into edc and until they do some kind of analysis halfway through a trial or at the completion of trial they, they really don't know how those patients are doing maybe not clinically but administratively and mm -hmm. of course patients you know withdraw to a period of time because they're disconnected they don't feel like they're contributing and because of that sponsors have to incur the difficulty of recruiting more patients into an existing trial because they still have an uh, endpoint to meet so I think that was the biggest aha moment of, okay, I think there's a bigger opportunity. Why, why doesn't every single clinical trial have some tool that really helps people that need it the most, which are the patients and the caregivers, and yet also tells the sponsors, hey, here's what our patients did yesterday. 
and last mm-hmm. week, and we found this. Maybe we should intervene. Or, or look, out of your 50 sites, two of them maybe are not performing very well. Look at the satisfaction from their patients and their engagement. Mm-hmm. Let's retrain them. Maybe there's a gap. So it's really a, a two-pronged um, solution, and that is going to be really helping the families and patients and caregivers along, and then also providing visibility for the sponsor so they can quickly uh, act if there are challenges. And let me just add one more sentence to that. Um, a lot of sponsors that we work with are amazingly involved with what they want to do for their patients. They have innovation departments. They've got patient advocacy w- within the institution, right? Mm. The challenge is that they're not able to get to the information to say, look, let's bring the team in at the sponsor um, so that we can go ahead and intervene with this specific trial. Interesting. Okay, so you you dropped a couple of really interesting things there, and I want to I want to reverse uh, direction for a minute here because you said something that pointed, I think, to the patient's motivation for being a part of a clinical trial in the first place, um, in terms of you know feeling as though they're not contributing. I would have thought you know, uh, coming into this cold, that the primary motivation for a patient to be a part of a clinical trial was to have the potential for, if not a cure, an improvement in in my condition. I think what you're alluding to is that there's uh, another motivation behind that. Can you speak a little more to that that secondary motivation? Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of, especially later, older adults, um, they think about research a little bit differently, which is, which is, I think, pretty amazing. And I don't have the exact statistical number, but the feedback that we receive in many cases, and in my story, is, I think falls right into that. It's not about their own cure. It's about the ability to help um, move a cure into availability to patients who are also suffering from this. Um, mm-hmm. Meaning my dad was no longer in it to save his own life, to be part of research. He did pass away. It's the, the fact that doesn't want to have his neighbor, a loved one, or even his children, grandchildren have this disease where, again, it's the same situation of, what do you mean? There's no treatment for this yet, um, mm. which is really common for a lot of uh, diseases today, unfortunately. So there is a very high level of motivation to say, like, I, I may not be able to save my own self at this point, but no doubt I want to give back because others shouldn't deal with this consequence that I'm dealing with. Because all these am- amazing vaccines and drugs and and T-cell therapies that are available today are all because somebody four years ago, eight years ago, Mm. 25 years ago said, yeah, I don't want somebody to deal with it like we do or I have to. That is so, it's so fascinating. And I've got to believe that if, uh, if an investigator or a sponsor doesn't take that dynamic into account as they are interacting with and communicating to and with the participant, they miss an enormous opportunity to tap into the act, that actual motivation. Is that something you see happening a lot, or at least in the past? Absolutely. You know, I think medical providers in this country and around the world are, are amazing people. They work really hard uh, to treat the diseases of people the best they can. It's disappointing that not every medical provider um, doesn't conduct research. And nowadays, the infrastructure to, to conduct research is pretty expensive. So mm-hmm. therefore, not everybody can afford to do that. And I wish there was a way of simplifying trials, either through products like ourselves or other products in the marketplace that say, look, you can do research. Um, you know, here's a software that actually helps you as a site also do research and mitigate your risk and exposure while giving this opportunity to patients. Because if you're going to a provider, let's say it's an oncologist that doesn't participate in research, you may not actually receive any options to be a part of a clinical trial. 
And, you know, we're not sure if that's the best course, depending on what's approved, but it would be nice if every provider today uh, and every disease area said, yeah, we've got a clinical trial for that. Hmm. All right. Let's, we're going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, I want to pick up the ball and talk a little bit about some of the things that ClinOne is doing to address these gaps that we're seeing. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to DataPoint. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and we're here with Rob Bohax of ClinOne. Rob, when we went into the break, we were talking a little bit about the, the gap that exists in terms of communication, in terms of information, in terms of engagement and dialogue that happens between the sponsor of a trial, the investigators, and the patients themselves. Now, you mentioned that four years ago, you founded ClinOne to address some of these gaps. Can you tell us a little bit about what ClinOne is and how it does that? Of course. Uh, ClinOne is a e-clinical solution provider that has a number of modules of about 15 different modules today that's there to address specific challenges. One is something like e-consent and how important it is consenting patients at a site level, managing procedures, uh, managing communication with sites, and then the, the majority of our technology really faces that patient experience, meaning that patients are connected to a web, a mobile interactive text technology that says, here's where your visit is at. Here's what the medications you have to take today. Here's mm-hmm. the e-pros you have to complete. Um, so it's a series of modules that supports some of the challenges that we see in trials today, uh, which is pretty exciting um, because if we look at the complete landscape of clinical trials, maybe less than 5% have any kind of solution involved today that simplifies that path uh, for sites or patients. That is really interesting. And so talk to us about, you know, for people, again, that are not necessarily directly familiar with the trial process, talk us through some of the difficulties that that are often faced. You know, consent seems like such an easy thing. Like, why is that hard? Uh, You know, what, what, what is it that makes that a challenge that needs to be overcome? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of challenges around managing the the process of consent for sites. Um, You take away some of the tier one centers sometimes in the secondary, third tier um, sites, or even the ones that are just starting out in clinical research, they may not have all the wherewithal of how to do a proper consent of a patient. Mm. And consenting a patient is really important. In many cases, if it's a complex, high-risk trial, you know, patients may be opting in or voluntarily consenting to a study that may have extremely high levels of risk. Did you take your time? Was you know, the caregivers present? Was there any outstanding questions? These are all things that are just done on a single paper and signature. And the FDA comes in and says, okay, where's all the notes behind it of what the consent process looked like? What questions uh, were asked? How long did it take? Who was present? You know, our technology just simplifies that process into one technology and you know, manages all the steps involved. And on top of that, we had developed a technology that allows patients to be reconsented from the comfort of their own homes, in front of their computers, for example, or in a dynamic environment where there's a high acute settings, for example. Mm. Those challenges were so significant that a significant impactment to one, enrolling patients, and number two, keeping patients on the current version of a consent was really problematic. And the risks are really high. We're talking about major FDA infractions for a failed or incomplete or failure to reconsent patients. Wow. Okay. So that, that actually makes a lot more sense. And when you, you mentioned, you know, some of the reasons that patients drop out of trials, whether it's that they're, the, the, the protocol is too difficult to follow, difficult to understand, 
but they don't understand, you know, what they're, what kind of contribution they're making or how the, you know, trial is advancing. Can you talk a little bit about how Clin One addresses some of those issues in terms of smoothing out the process for the patient? Yeah, of course. I'll just focus on a couple of specific areas in our technology. One is something simple, like I know what my next visits are, right? I know that I have to go to this institution and it's this part of campus and the technology reminds you and your caregiver uh, what time your appointments are, what time you should probably leave in the morning based on traffic patterns. And then we also integrated Uber as a part of that equation. So if patients want to use ride sharing service to get to that visit, it's completely seamless, right? It's a, it's a concierge service. Wow. The way this was done in the past before, is that the coordinators, who are very busy individuals, unfortunately, with a lot of things to do at the site level, they have to call and remind the patient, right? I have to call them that there's an appointment coming up on Friday morning. It's at 7 a.m. Don't forget, it's across the campus because you have to do a specific imaging. All that was done by human nature. Mm-hmm. And these people are amazing as coordinators and nurses and PIs and sub-eyes, but there's only so much they can do. So technology can do all the heavy lifting, um, including now using Uber, for example, so that I'm a patient and I'm going to an infusion treatment for an oncology trial. I, I'm not going to want to drive home post-infusion and my loved right. one has to take me. Or if it was like what happened this week in Denver, lots of snow. I don't want to be driving on these roads. I'm elderly, right? Yeah. Simplifying that process. And the last piece of that is, look, it's a lot of patients in, around the world and the U.S. simply can't afford to drive in. Yes, they eventually get reimbursed or a prepayment card for their gas or travel, but it would be nice if I didn't have to pay the $25 it costs to park at a certain structure at a university, for example, if it's not complimentary. It seems yeah. expensive and adds up. All those things are just another barrier, another barrier why a patient may discontinue a study treatment. So I, I find that fascinating. And have you seen, I know I, I read on your website and Forgive me if, I, if I'm not remembering this correctly, but that ClinOne has been used in over 3,000 trials at this point. Is that correct? That is correct across about 55 countries today. Wow, incredible. So have you seen as a result of that um, really straightforward and streamlined ability to communicate with a patient that there is an actual impact in terms of their uh, adherence to the the study protocols and their willingness to to complete the trial? Absolutely. Um, one of the things we learned early on is that once patients connect to our technology for a given trial, they use it really frequently. Um, if we're using our daily dosing management reminder tool or module, they use it several times a day, for example, right? Wow. So it's incredible. The utilization is really high, which I think shows that, yes, there's a technology you have to familiarize yourself with, but on top of that, there is a bit of a challenge that maybe they weren't getting this information from the sites in the past, and therefore now they're pleased, right? They and their caregiver and their family is connected to our technology about all the details. There's no more uh, dropping the details around that, for example. Mm. Is there a statistic that you cite uh, in terms of the percentage increase in uh, adherence or completion? Any, uh, any hard numbers that you are able to share? Yes. So we are able to get to about uh, 97% dosing compliance at about 12 months into a trial, which is really high yeah. uh, compared to the 60% that's uh, you know without our technology. And wow. then we're able to get to about a 95% visit adherence as well, uh, six months into a trial. And we're trying to drive that number quite a bit higher as a company as well. Things like, okay, additional transportation services, 
in the event that they have to travel somewhere, get a hotel, can we integrate that into our product also? Incredible. I, I, and I'm sure that there are a million different variables that can impact that. But when you talk about the difference between 60% and 97%, the financial value of that to the sponsor and the investigator must be significant. Absolutely. And I think that's you know, one of the major pieces of our technology is not just helping an outcome in terms of compliance, but identifying the situations where there is under compliance, right? Is it a region? Is it those two sites that I mentioned earlier that are underperforming? And then they can intervene, right? Do we need additional training? Do we need additional resources? And just a quick example, uh, we're a part of some rare um, disease trials, which are amazing because they're extremely difficult, of course. Uh, but the patients, when we looked at our KPIs, were on average about 120 miles away from their centers. So that was the average distance. Wow. And we presented this data at like 45 days into starting a trial with a sponsor. And literally, that's what they said. Like, wow, we had no idea. We thought they're across town, of course, right? So within, within 30 days, the sponsor had a travel company in place, um, Really provided additional compensation and travel logistic cost coverage for their patients because that's what they had to, right? And it was amazing because we deliver, and, and there are other companies like ours that deliver value of what's happening with our patients, and then they can act on that. And I think that's where it has a significant impact, not just helping the patients, but then if there's something that doesn't go right, we visible, create a visible tool for that and saying, what do we do to fix that? And that's the information that they really didn't have before. And that's the way of managing trials, you know, somewhat the old way. You know, I'm, I imagine that plenty of organizations that do a lot of clinical trial investigation are, you know, major hospitals and academic medical centers that have lots of resources at their disposal. But it feels as though your technology has the potential to open up a lot more facilities to be able to do clinical trials who maybe never thought they could. Is that a part of the intent? It is. If we can simplify the study for a site and a patient, then we can have a lot more sites doing trials. And the FDA you know, does issue some requests for the world around us, uh, and that is particularly on how do we engage patients in less uh, dominant, research-dominant regions, right? You go to the peninsula mm -hmm. in San Francisco, lots of research, you know, a certain kind of population lives there, but what about the rural parts of the United States or the world where those participants typically never get a chance to access um, clinical trials? They also want medical data and clinical data on those individuals. So there's always this press toward being able to activate sites who are outside the normal top 50 that you want to select when you uh, activate a, your sites, of course, because you need to have an equal distribution of the population as best as possible to be a part of these trials. And sure. sites in you know, the west part of Colorado or, or Utah or Montana or more sites in Arizona really are important to the FDA because they just can't continue to pull from uh, an oncology trials, right? The major five uh, population resources around MD Anderson and Southern sure. California, Northern California. So there is a need to do that. And there's technology that can support the journey uh, for sites and patients so that there's less risk and they're more willing to do trials as well. Are there ways to use the ClinOne platform to actually even, you know, maybe reduce the number of face-to-face -face, uh, visits that are required, you know, that might allow a patient to complete an activity uh, and report on it at home rather than, you know, driving 60, 120 miles? 
Absolutely. I think reducing the number of visits is a pretty important part of um, any clinical trial or should be uh, any clinical trial management plan. The, uh, the goal here is if we can reduce the number of visits where a patient is being burdened to go into a facility, especially if it's 120 mm. miles away, like I mentioned, but yeah. the greater chance they're going to continue being a part of the trial. But in the past, we just didn't have a lot of visibility. Were the patients taking their medications? Well, I don't know, because they only come in every 30 days or 90 days, and we do a pill mm. count. We bring that information up quickly. And we also are, in a, as a company, hugely supporting through technology and, and I think in general the appreciation, the home nursing visits. Um, just simplifying that so that patients don't have to go into the clinics. More can be done at home. And there's real monitoring that could be taking place of how our patients are doing every day uh, through technology as well. Fantastic. Well, I, I'd like to close us out today, Rob, with a question about the future. Um, obviously, the work that you're doing, it, it seems to be taking us a long way towards really shifting the emphasis to, to making it possible for patients to, provide, uh, to participate in clinical trials seamlessly and to complete the trials more quickly and so forth. What are some of the things that you see coming in the future uh, that are going to make that process work even better? What are some of the implications and impacts of that, of that work going forward? Sure. Some of our probably two biggest initiatives going into 2020 and beyond is going to be around helping reimburse a caregiver's time and expense for supporting a trial. Hmm. And number two is really providing technology that monitors the safety 24 hours a day of, of trial participants. So I'll just start with the first one. Um, again, this is a, a bit of a personal passion of mine given the impacts to my own family. But mm. you have somebody like my mom who is the caregiver of a really difficult disease like ALS. They spend between two and probably four hours a day managing the disease and the clinical trial they're a part of. I would like to see for those people to be reimbursed for their time. Right? In, my mom had the fortune of being a stay-at-home mom. Uh, to support that. But what if you've got a family where you've got both individuals working? You just take sure. time off of work and that gets exhausted, your PTO, right? Does it impact your life enough where you have to quit your job just because there's visits once a week, once every two weeks? So I'd like to see if our sponsors and our sites really begin to compensate the caregiver for their time and effort that goes into that because there's probably nobody more important in a clinical trial and the success of a clinical trial than somebody who's right there with them in their own house uh, supporting their journey every day. Fantastic. Yeah. That, I mean, that, it makes a ton of sense and I've never actually heard anybody mention that before. So that is really, that's super intriguing. There was a second item that you mentioned there, was there not? There was. And the next piece for us is to partner with one of the uh, upcoming technology companies that allows a patient to wear a, a, a medical device uh, that can track the safety of a patient 24 hours a day. We think that if you're part of a, a clin one clinical trial as a patient, you, you get all these amazing tools and support systems in place. But on top of that, we're really worried about your safety as well. So being sure. able to record information about how a patient's doing from any kind of cardiac events, for example, measuring their uh, blood pressure and pulse, sugar levels through the day, anything that you're able to collect through this device so that there's somebody watching you um, to make sure if there's something that happened at one o'clock in the morning that you didn't realize because you're sleeping, our technology caught it and someone's going to call you in the morning or immediately. Um, that's the kind of safety layer, layer that we'd like to put on our trials. So that not only we're managing the behavior and making sure they're, they're uh, effectively managing the procedures in a trial, but there's an extra level of safety that our system can manage remotely as well. 
Fantastic. Well, Rob, this has been incredible. I'm so grateful for you um, sharing your story with us. I think the work that you're doing is just, it's, it's amazing. And I hope that every patient gets to experience the kind of care uh, that you're talking about providing. So tell us where can people go if they want to find out more information uh, about the work you're doing, want to connect with you, where would you send them? Absolutely. A great place to start is just our website at www.clin1.com. And if they'd like to have a discussion with me as well, they can certainly submit one of our contact forms and I'd be happy to set up a call with them personally as well. Fantastic. I will make sure in case you're driving, don't uh, try and write that down right now. That's all going to be in the show notes uh, so you can follow up later, but definitely reach out to connect with Rob and his team at Clin1. Rob, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me today, Greg. Have yourself a nice day. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.